Hello and welcome to Setting the Skein. I'm Ben. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah. And, well, for the next several weeks, Doug is not going to be here. Um, Doug has left. So, <clears throat> yep. Uh, Doug, Doug, Doug is, is uh, off this summer uh, working at Windshape Campside. Don't remember if he mentioned that last week or not, so I'm just mentioning it again. Um, Look, all so, I know, all all I know is I saw Doug walk into the woods. I didn't see him have uh, have anything with him, so uh, I don't know if we'll see Doug again. Honestly, we'll see. I guess, um, or we won't. Yeah, um, you're right, or we won't. But in the Either meantime, uh, it's just you have to deal with me. Yeah, uh, you got you got to deal with all three of us uh, and oh. some occasional guests that uh, we'll probably have. Yeah. But this week, we're starting off this little um, Sands Duck period with with a doozy. Uh, Tristan? Yeah. Tristan, what did we watch this week? We watched The Hateful Eight by Mm. Quentin Tarantino. Uh, This film came out in uh, 2015. It's a Quentin Tarantino film, as I mentioned. Um, Of course, it has all the usual Quentin Tarantino faces in it. Um, such as Samuel Jackson, uh, um, Kurt, well, I guess Kurt Russell. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Bruce Dern is in Quentin Tarantino movies. Tim Roth is in Quentin Tarantino movies. Mike, uh, Michael Madsen, um, but it also has Kurt Russell. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee, yeah, that's right. Um, Walton Goggins, who <laughs> I saw in... Uh, the uh, the uh, righteous gemstones, um, yeah, yep. There's that. Did you have the review stuff? Yes, I do. Uh, this movie is mostly pretty well reviewed. Uh, it's got seven point eight out of ten on IMDb. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has a seventy four four percent on the tomato meter, seventy six on the audience score. Uh, Metacritic is not showing up. Where is it? I don't know where the Metacritic score is, but that's fine. Uh, fun fact on Common Sense Media, four out of five. Well, this movie is extremely controversial. Um, I don't think I know anyone, and maybe I have found two men here who feel this way, but I don't think I know anyone who... who um, it's, it's a love it or hate it movie. Mm-hmm. Like, you really enjoy what's going on, or you really do not, and you think it's worthless. That's what yeah, I Yeah, that sounds like. about right. Well, yeah. I don't know that I either love it or hate it. I mean, after we finished the movie, I said, I kind of liked it. I kind of didn't like it. And I'm not sure what I want to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Tristan, I think you were the only one of us who had seen it before. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your experience? Sure. I saw this when it came out. Uh, I guess not long after it came out, I saw it in the theater. I saw it for maybe it was Mikey's birthday. I don't remember. Uh, I think we saw it for someone's birthday, but we all went to the special screening um, because this movie was filmed a certain way. I don't remember. It said it at the beginning. It was special film. You guys can look it up. I don't need to tell you. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um and, and, of course, the people I saw it with were all film nuts. So they were like, we got to go see it in the special version. Um, so we did. And uh, it, it was I, I liked it when I saw it. I thought it was pretty good. The people I went with didn't really like it. 
Um, and I, I heard, I heard about it too. So, um, apparently there guys... is a, a version that was filmed in Ultra Panavision seventy, and I don't really yeah. know what that means. That's what we saw. That's the one we saw. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shot at twenty four frames per second. Um, and yields an extremely wide aspect ratio. Uh, I can press the image. I don't really know much about this, but yeah, if you do, that that's, uh, I guess, the version that Tristan saw. It was a wide boy. Yeah, yeah. that's the one we saw. All right. Uh, now, Elijah, correct me if I'm wrong, this is your first Quentin Tarantino film, right? Yeah. Um, Pulp <laughs> Fiction and Inglorious Bastards have been on my to-watch list for a while, but I haven't seen them. Um, and uh, do you know even... much about Tarantino at all? Okay, yeah, I was going to say, I'm not even totally sure what those two movies are about. Uh, just a vague <laughs> idea. And then I know some reasons that Tarantino is famous and some reasons he's controversial. Mm. And those all came up in this movie. <laughs> all right. But the fact that I... This is the first time I've seen a Tarantino film. I mean, none of us are really qualified to act like movie critics and today i'm less qualified than usual is what i'm saying <laughs> well we're happy to have you here uh did you have any kind of expectations coming into this um not really well, knowing anything about or not knowing much about quentin tarantino i mean i went into this knowing for a fact it was going to be gory and have a lot of coarse language and things <laughs> like that like i've i've heard enough to know to expect that which is not to say that there weren't some surprises yeah definitely <laughs> Yeah, uh, I I actually expected to not like this movie as much as I did when I saw it, mm-hmm. um, and I I, I I really enjoyed it this time around. Usually, you know, I might like work on something else or watch the movie if, if I've seen it before. But no, mm-hmm. I was glued to this one. Yeah, uh, for me, I will say I'm not the biggest Tarantino fan in the world. Um, I. I don't hate the movies I've seen. I've seen Pulp Fiction, True Romance, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I I would say that they're genuinely good movies, but not really something I find myself wanting to rewatch. Mm-hmm. And probably the same with this. I don't really have any intentions of rewatching it. Um, but it, it's one of those movies like it's good. I don't know that enjoyed is really the right word, but. It, it oh, no? happened. I mean, like there were parts that were enjoyable, but not the kind of enjoyment that's going to be like, oh yeah, this is one of my favorite movies. I want to go rewatch it. Oh yeah, yeah. It's not one of those to rewatch like that. It's not like, yeah, uh, yeah. it's not like that. I'd say it was like it was a good watch, and that's all I needed. So. Yeah. Um. Well, you know, I've been working on my. Uh, been working on making my summaries a little shorter all right well uh, would you like to summarize the film for us Tristan? yeah it shouldn't be too hard uh all right. <laughs> um, I mean, from what you were saying a lot of people say nothing really happens in this film so. yeah some people do say that people say that a lot about a lot of movies where i even feel though like it's three happen. hours long yeah that's i mean i can see why it's not some people's cup of tea to watch a long movie that basically all takes place in one room but nothing happens is not accurate. It's a three-hour-long bottle episode. Yeah, a lot happens in that room. Basically, you've got a bounty hunter taking in a bounty, and he picks up a couple people along the way to town, 
they end up at a cabin, a haberdashery. I'm not really sure what that is. Maybe do, can you I mean, tell it me just Elijah? like an N? Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, uh, a like haberdasher. A haberdasher is a seller, I think, maybe of something specific. But you know, people I'd still say, use uh, that. Google word. says a dealer in men's clothing. Men's clothing. Okay, that's what it said. Yeah, in the uh, in the movie, the only thing we see them sell is candy, right? Mm-hmm. But people still use that word today. It's an old timey word, but people still use it for stores. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, basically, they go there, this little wagon party at the beginning, and there's a few people there, and there's a series of events that happens. A um, few people die uh, in this cabin um, at first. <laughs> And then someone's like, well, someone's the traitor. Someone's trying to free this bounty. Um, and then some more events happen and more people die. And eventually uh, everyone dies. Mm-hmm. So um, you don't see two of the characters die, but uh, it's assumed that they do die. Yeah. They're essentially left for dead at the end. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was very succinct. Thanks. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Tarantino movies in general. Uh, I mean, he has a very specific style. I have not seen a ton of Tarantino movies. Um, and I've seen a few that I've liked and disliked. I liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I liked The Hateful Eight. I liked Django Unchained. I kind of liked Inglorious Bastards. I liked parts of it. Did not like Pulp Fiction. And I'm sure there are other movies of his that I would not like. And there may be more that I would like. Um he only has a few more after that that he's directed. Um, so he's a very controversial director. He has a lot of things he does. Gore is one, um, like sexual things, uh, feet. That's a big part. Like it's usually feet in his movies for whatever reason. I will say, um, I don't think we got as much feet in this one. No, we didn't. We didn't. There were a couple shots, but. <clears throat> yeah. Nothing. So. Nothing like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. So he has a really specific style, and that's that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that, I guess. A lot of people don't like him uh, because he's kind of... I mean, re- regardless of his movies, he's, he's kind of just uh, an asshole towards people in general. Um, he... Uh, he doesn't play well with people, uh, his actors. I mean, there's a few people that know how to work with him and they're in his movies a lot. Like Samuel um, L. Jackson. Yeah. But a lot of, there's a lot of people, who, a lot of actors and people in movies, he's rubbed the wrong way. Um, mm-hmm. That's just kind of how he is. And it doesn't make it right necessarily. Um, but that's who he is. So how, uh, I don't know if this is really an accurate term, but how Quentin Tarantino-y do you think The Hateful Eight is? Like, I know we kind of mentioned that, like, it doesn't have as much of, like, the feet thing that he really likes, but, like, the other, like, (laughs) major aspects of what is normally Quentin Tarantino film. Like, how does this stack up? Yeah. Because I think you've seen more than I have. And the ones I've I've seen, seen, it's been a while. Yeah, I've seen a few more. A lot of people point to, they point to Pulp Fiction as the Mm -hmm. Quentin Tarantino movie. Um, And it's been several years since I've seen it. Yeah, and that's the one that I, I, I maybe I should give it another watch. But when I watched it, I, I didn't, 
necessarily I, I it was just a little out there mm-hmm. for me um you know something like uh Django Unchained has its moments of being out there there are several moments in that movie where um some unrealistic gunfights happen um or there's uh some characters that are just like maybe you you wouldn't think they would exist in the real world um his his that's and that's kind of his style the characters that he creates or his team i guess creates they're kind of almost unbelievable it's like almost like how does this person exist in this type of world Mm -hmm. um it in in the hateful eight i think that kind of character would be samuel jackson's character uh marquis was his name Marquis uh, Warren. Yeah. Marquis Warren. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, he's believable. You understand, you know, like he, he, he very clearly outlines where he's been and what he's done. Uh, so you get why he's the way he is. Um, but even then, like there's some stuff that happens in this movie and he, stuff he talks about. And there's one scene in particular where it's like, wow, this guy, like, no, like this man is demented. Like, and all of his characters have some sort of demented nature. Are you like talking that. about the scene? Yes. Where he's talking yeah. about what he did to the Confederate to the, general son. Yeah. 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 So I think that's I, I, I think that's staple in Quentin Turner movies. Um, of course, you can talk about gore and stuff too. I mean, that's obviously a thing. I think there are lots of elements of uh horror movies that he pulls into his um his movies but he makes them an action he, he does like an action take on it yeah um Quint- talking about quentin tarantino is very controversial in itself and everyone has a different opinion about him so even me talking about him right now there's someone out there listening to this podcast who's going to think wow tristan you're uh i don't know uh you're you're kind of wrong about that one there i, I don't know <laughs> It, it, everyone who knows anything about movies uh, and has and has for years is uh, a Quentin Tarantino nerd in some degree, and uh, I'm wrong. So I'm, I'll let you know I'm wrong, and I'm right. How about that? Uh, All so right, take that to the bank. Um, right. And so Tarantino is known for violence and gore, and he has a few movie trademarks like what you just talked about. Um, and he's also, and this is something I'd heard before today, and I did a little bit of reading about it uh, in preparation for this. He's also come under fire for how many times he writes the N-word into his movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and this film has no shortage of that. Um, right. So I read earlier, I think in the extended cut, it's almost 70 times. Yeah. Which... Yeah, I given the period that this is set in makes sense, but it's still a lot. Yeah. And I, I read some of his, like uh, some of the things he said to defend himself. And I'm not sure I agree with him. You know, I, I don't think you, you, you have to, it's Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I know he doesn't care what my opinion is. He'll, <laughs> yeah. he'll cry all the way to the bank, but you know, uh that's we're not here because we think he cares what we think right right yeah so we're here um, because we care what we think <laughs> yeah we're yeah, here because we're bored 
anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't think I agree with where he's coming from. Um, I'd say, do I you mean, happen it, to remember the reason that he gave? Uh, well, I should have had it pulled up so that I could just read it because uh, now I'm wasting recording time. That's fine. It, it's 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 a choice. I mean, yeah. he. Yeah. You don't have to write that into your movie. Django Unchained is the same way. Um, Django Unchained, for the uninitiated, is about a a slave who um, basically is freed at the beginning of the movie, and he avenges his wife. Um, Or that's his that's his mission. So, and tries to free her. I mean, that's that's the whole movie. there are lots of um, plantation owners and slavers in that movie, and there's one in very particular that I mean, it, the the N word is is very prevalent there. So, um, and I, I'm sure it's in his other movies. It's, I mean, I, I can't remember exactly, but it's probably in Pulp Fiction too. So, um, um, and you know, like you said, Ben, it's period accurate. You know. And so I, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily know if, uh, if it's wrong to, to go to those links to be period accurate, you know, Uh, especially if, and I'm not sure that this is true either, but if he really was trying to make a statement here about uh, the United States, uh, you know, violent and, and really messed up racial history, you know, then, then maybe there's actually a point to that. But um, the the only thing that gives me pause really is just the response I read from him. Uh, I didn't look it back up, but he he kind of um, I don't know. He he was basically just like, I'm trying to write an honest story so I can do whatever I want. And you know maybe there's some truth in that, um, but I don't know that he has quite the <laughs> the attitude he should have. That's yeah. I think I think that's where I'm coming from. I will say for what it's worth, there have been actors who have both been supportive and against this. Uh, I was just looking it up. Uh, it looks like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Jamie Foxx were both not super comfortable with it, but Samuel L. Jackson has come to his defense a few times saying, uh, essentially, get over it and let's just do the thing. Um, yeah, what I was, I just read Wikipedia because I always do. Um, and I, it was, uh, it talked about Samuel L. Jackson defending him and his mm-hmm. use of the N-word in movies. Um, and, and his main opponent was Spike Lee. Um, oh. Spike Lee refused to go see Django Unchained because of it. Interesting. Well, the last thing I wanted to say about that is <laughs> actually it may just be a, a discussion for a, another time and maybe a better context. Yeah, maybe if we oh. ever do talk about 12 Years of Slave or Django Unchained. Well, I, I think it raises an interesting question of it for like if Quentin Tarantino is saying what I think he's saying, he's saying I'm making a movie about a thing that happened or could have happened in an era where this thing did happen. Mm-hmm. So he's saying because I included this sort of language or these themes or you know, this clothing or these the way of walking, I mean, it's all from this era. He's, you know, he's saying I'm going to include it in the movie too. And maybe he was trying to make a statement. I don't know. I don't think anyone knows the mind of Quentin Tarantino. Well, um, um, I I was, I'm still weeding through the IMDb trivia 
and there's a couple things on there to the effect of uh, he was trying to paint some kind of picture of America's messed up racial history. And the last chapter, the story is divided into chapters, and the last chapter is called something like Black Man in a White Hell or something like that. Uh-huh. And um, so that's the, the title of the last section of the story. And then the very last thing that happens is uh, there's a black man and a white man still alive in the cabin. They're about to die. But the last thing they do is view this uh, letter from Abraham Lincoln that uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character apparently forged mm-hmm. um, as, as kind of a survival thing to get respect from people in his line of work. And uh-huh. um, But they know it's a lie. Uh, but they read the letter out loud and it actually says some things about, you know, the, the nation's, the, the nation's need for progress and unity and things like that. And then that's kind of how the movie ends. Mm-hmm. It seems like he is just trying to make a statement about that, but I'm, I'm honestly like, what in the world was he trying to say? This does not seem like a movie about race at all. No, no. absolutely not. No, but it, it, the way it's packaged, the way it, the way the bow is tied on in there, it makes you go, "Was this about racism the entire time?" I mean, they did they they skirt around it in the beginning in the first mm-hmm. couple chapters. You know, it comes up a couple more times because everybody's racist, everybody's saying the n word, mm-hmm. and then there's that scene at the end, and it makes you go, "Is this movie supposed to be about racism?" Because I really don't think it is so what's the deal i'd say i I think it's like a main like topic of the film but i don't think it's the main point like i I think the main point of this movie is seeing how these characters interact with each other and develop over the course of this film yeah tarantino is always going to make the movie first that's that's just him like it doesn't matter if he's trying to if he were even trying to tell like uh, uh or make a statement I, I mean from what i've seen from him and what i know him to be i i fully believe that he is just going to make the movie the way mm-hmm. it is and if a statement is made along the way then that's just part of it yeah that's i don't think he's going out of his way to make a statement though yeah i mean it i i can give an, an i guess another example is Django Unchained is another movie that's very much so about race compared to this one, which is kind of not necessarily about race, though. Um, In Django, you have a character who helps Django quite a bit, who is white and not American. um, And he is very obviously not racist. Um, He's a a great character. And... uh, I think that may have been a statement, but I mean, I, I can't search for statements in Quentin Tarantino films because I don't think he ever sets out to make one. He just sets out to make a movie. I mean, you look at a movie like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like it's not trying to send a message. It's just it's telling a story. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, okay. Consider this. Um, so again, this is the only Tarantino movie I've seen. Um, I've just heard about some other ones, but one thing he does is he engages in alternate history, right? Yeah. Like uh, Inglorious Bastards is an alternate history. Well, that that one is, yeah. Especially yeah. towards like the middle part of the movie, kind of gets to that point. 
but all, all the other ones could have happened. I mean, this one, okay. Django and Shane could have happened. In and, um, well, like I read a piece of trivia that said, uh, one of the characters in this movie is like confirmed to be the great, great grandfather of a character in Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of movies take place in the same universe. I think that's, yeah. yeah that I, said before. I don't know if it's like an official, like an officially confirmed thing, but I know it's very much talked about how there's always connections between each of his films and it's kind of like uh, a more mature version of the Pixar theory, if you will. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, he, he said it there. Oh, did he? Yeah. Uh, they're, they're all, all this movie is just supposed to be in the same universe from his so first this, one to the most recent one. So this is all an alternate history. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, I, I'll just bring this up. We've talked about like problems in fantasy fiction before. Mm-hmm. And a big thing is, you know, people will look at, I mean, we could use a, a Disney film as a prime example, like uh, Frozen, you know, stuff like that. Um, you know, it takes place in a fantastical fairy tale world. And uh, somebody will say, where are the brown people? You know, why is everybody white? And then they'll say, well, the source material comes from Iceland or whatever. And uh, so we wanted to be true to uh, the real world. And that's why everybody's white. Okay, but why did, why, why do you have to be true to the real world when the story takes place in a fantastical world where they don't play by the same rules? Yeah. Uh, it really sounds like you just don't want brown people in your universe, right? Like people have, have made that argument a lot. Um, yeah. And I would make that argument. And then I think if you're going to criticize Tarantino for his use of the N-word, there's a similar argument to be made here. Uh, if he's writing alternate history, what's with the preoccupation with being true to the way people talked historically? Uh, I, I, I couldn't tell you. I didn't make the movie, but yeah. I, I, could, I could wager a guess that it's I mean, if I made a movie set in the 70s and it hadn't culturally was nothing about the 70s or was was very it was so different that it was unrecognizable from me saying, oh, yeah, that's 70s fashion or that's 70s music. It's like. Is it is it really like what then then the movie is about something else, I guess, you know, it's not about what it was set out to be like if Inglorious Bastards takes place in world war ii but he's keep you know he's changed things about it that make it no longer world war ii and he's included information about a different war that happened before like like this is now world war three i mean i guess the point i'm trying to make is what at what point i'm not making a statement or anything i'm not i'm I'm just talking just brainstorming I'm, I'm, i'm just thinking at what point if you're making a world if you're creating a universe does it does it steer from the uh, the um, historical whatever it's based on or whatever? I mean, I, I think in at least in terms of Quentin Tarantino films, the biggest change is in Inglorious Bastards, which I'm fixing to spoil that movie uh, that I, that I haven't even seen. They they kill Hitler at the end, right? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a, a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood also has a different ending than what happened in real life. Yeah, but I, I, I guess I, 
I feel like uh, Inglorious Bastards is the easy one to talk about. Like, obviously, killing Hitler in that movie would change the course of of events. Like, I, I guess I I buy what Tarantino says about his films taking place in the same universe. I don't think he's necessarily building a cohesive cinematic universe where he's worried about the canon of this universe. So he is still trying to make what he considers realistic films, but he's just kind of, um, I guess, taking liberties in terms of the flexibility of the history of this world. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Tarantino is, Tarantino is not going to care about, he'll say something and then he'll do the opposite. Right. I, I, yeah, I don't think he cares about whether things match up or not in, in logic when it comes to movies. Yeah, and like Elijah, I think you brought up a great point. Like, this is a fictional world. Like, why do you still have to use the N word so many times? And like, I, I'm certainly not trying to defend that because I certainly agree. I, I don't think there's much point, but that's the way I see it. You know, I might not have even brought this up if it weren't for the fact that some of the stuff they say in this movie, and in particular the ending makes it seem like he wanted to make a statement about yeah. racism in America. And I'm still just scratching my head about it. Cause I'm like, that is I, the movie I just watched is not a movie that I would tell somebody was about race relations. Right. I do not think that's what that movie was about. So what's the, what's the deal? Why are we doing this? What? <laughs> yeah. It's a uh, story. Honestly, it's a story he wants to tell. What do you mean? Yeah. Well, um, I don't <laughs> know. Do I anything. think, I mean, I think it, we've... it almost kind of half seems like um, it was just kind of almost forced in the end to make it also seem about race relations in the United States. I don't think it was ever about race relations. I, I he he just took these characters that he made. He said, I like this era. I want to make something that happens in this era. I want to use these characters I made. How would they react to each other? What would happen? And he just did that. Right. And a racial a racial statement maybe happened along the way, but I, I don't think Quentin Tarantino really thought that hard about that part of it. Well, maybe that's why he's come under fire. Maybe he didn't think hard enough about that. Um, although it seems from other movies in his um in his uh repertoire that he has <laughs> i don't know if i think you'd be interested to see um what spike lee had to say um I, i'm i'm kind of interested to look up actual interviews maybe where he talked about mm-hmm. this but i i'll say this um i you know i kind of expected this going in but i was definitely open-minded about what i was about to see but the word gratuitous um has never applied more <laughs> uh he you know you you keep saying and he keeps saying he just wants to tell a story he just you know he came up with a scenario and the characters and he just wants to tell the story about those characters i don't think that's all it is if that's all it is what's with all this gratuitous grossness i mean it's not just the language it's not just the racial slurs that uh, a lot of people assert were unnecessary it's the violence too i mean the um, I, I understand that gore can be really effective as a storytelling tool, and 
but but I mean, <laughs> he he treats it like a toy. Mm-hmm. And I think it's pretty gross to treat violence like a toy. Um, and really, what what's kind of sticking in my mind is the the two characters who get poisoned from the coffee and they mm-hmm. start vomiting blood. Okay, the first couple of times they do that, it's very effective. Mm-hmm. You knew that they were poisoned, but you didn't. I mean, I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't see it coming. And it was definitely directed like something that was supposed to be shocking. And I was shocked. I was like, holy crap, what is that? You know, and I knew what was happening, but it was like, oh, my gosh. And so the first two or three times that happened, it was very effective. And after that, it was like, okay, he is milking every last drop out of this shocking thing that he could do. It's like the uh, it's like the rule of three in comedy or whatever. Is it called the rule of threes? Yeah. Yeah, it was like that. It was like, all right, you know, it was it was effective and shocking at the beginning. And now you're just being like, yeah, at, at that point, I was like, this is just not even this is not contributing anything to this mm-hmm. quote unquote story. And I don't mean to say it like that, because I'm not on, I'm not on the side with people who say nothing happened in this. There is a story here and I think it's interesting. But man. you didn't have to i mean you didn't have to make a two hours and 48 minute film about this story the reason it's that long is because we wanted to include as much blood and guts as possible yeah i think this movie easily probably could have been under two hours yeah yeah maybe uh there may be like 215 but I, I don't think this movie needed to be almost three hours. And there's also like a three and a half hour cut uh, that's also on Netflix if you want to watch the extended version. There are a lot of lingering shots at the mm-hmm. beginning that could have saved time. You know, I mean, we're, yeah. Uh, are, are you are you are you here to chug through a movie or are you here to sit and like like take something in? You know, at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, I mean, if if you if you got to be somewhere, don't watch a Quentin Tarantino movie. Watch something <laughs> yeah. else. Uh, and you know some of those lingering shots i feel like are are part of what they're trying to do with like paying homage to old spaghetti westerns and things Mm -hmm. like that um that's a big part of his what he likes yeah yeah and i think that's cool uh even though (laughs) there are times when not necessarily in this movie but definitely in movies we've watched before there have been times when i was like all right this movie lingers way too long on certain shots and that can get on my nerves it didn't necessarily get on my nerves with this movie um but you know i i think the vomiting blood thing is kind of a prime example of what i'm Mm -hmm. talking about like having the character suddenly vomit blood after being poisoned i think was a very effective move and i think uh i think it just got bad the fourth time it happened and it happened like 10 times it's like all right we freaking get it move Mm -hmm. on (laughs) yeah there, there's a there's a bit of um, tension, I think. Maybe that's not the right word, but I think that's in all of his movies is there's a bit of tension. And that is perpetuated by like long scenes, like the music being big and, and loud. And um, I mean, yeah, it's... Uh, it's 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 shocking it's like it's like a thriller in a way um i i mentioned before we started 
that uh, this made me think of the movie Clue mm-hmm. and that it's a sort of whodunit type of deal. And that's kind of what the plot is. Um, yeah. And it just... It, I mean, for think about Clue. If, you, if you've seen Clue or listened to our podcast before, it all takes place in the house. If you've played the board game, it's all in one house. It takes place in the same area. So I guess we're not seeing a lot of the outside world or experiencing things. We're focusing in on what's in this small setting and this house. And I think sometimes that may feel like we're it's dragging and a lot of people feel this way uh about this movie is that it drags or that it's not there's just things aren't happening or that um yeah you know they got bored or fell asleep or whatever um and a lot of people feel that way and it's valid that's just not your type of movie i think uh one of See, my favorite you movies say that i think this movie um is actually paced very well um and specifically like you also brought up clue i think this movie is paced a whole lot better than clue is because, like, I love Clue. I do. That movie drags. Um, Not I, to get I, too off topic, but... Yeah, I don't know. I I might have to see it again. I don't think I would have said it drags. Maybe I'd have to see it again and tell you, but I didn't think it dragged. From um, my rewatches of Clue, it it has dragged. Okay. Um, but Not, yeah, like, this... tremendously where it feels like a chore watching it, but... Yeah. This is like, I mean, it feels like if Clue was directed by a slasher director. <laughs> if Clue was directed by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I think that this, mo- this movie is like a couple of my other favorite movies. Interstellar and um, I'm blinking. <laughs> there will be blood. There will be blood. Um, there certainly was. Yeah, there certainly was. <laughs> a uh, lot of it. It, it holds I'm trying on to figure out the connection shots. to uh, Interstellar. It holds on these lingering shots. It's very long. You have... Um, I mean, that, that, that's, that's it, basically. I mean, it has those things in common, these movies do. And what they're trying to achieve here is a sort of feeling and tension and emotion sometimes. So, um, and a lot of this movie is character development. Um, the plot is understanding who these characters are. A lot of them already know each other. Um, so that is revealed throughout the movie, how they know each other and where they, uh, like what they've done with their lives. And, and basically, um, a lot of people don't trust each other. Um, I don't think anybody of- really trust anybody in this movie not really i, I mean no. I, I guess except for maybe the gang yeah like, but I, you don't I know who they, they are until right. the end of the movie yeah so um <laughs> well i'll say what what i did like about this movie was the I mean, you know, t- talking about those people who say nothing happened in this movie, stuff definitely did happen. And when you strip it down to the bones of what the plot was actually about, I like that. I find it interesting. Um, it's not, it doesn't strike me very thematically, um, but it is interesting. It, it, 
kept me interested. And uh, the whodunit feel that you mentioned uh, was really cool. It, it kind of gripped me from the beginning. And then all of a sudden, I was all in when the coffee was poisoned. Yep. That was probably the best thing that happened in that movie, just in terms of keeping it interesting. When the coffee was poisoned, and the only person who saw it was what's Daisy her name? Dombrio. Daisy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and she starts playing games. She plays that folk song on the guitar just to kind of subtly taunt the guy. Um, and then the vomiting blood scene that happens, which again was gratuitous. Um, but definitely very effective the first couple of times it happened. And I mean, I was pretty, I was on the edge of my seat. Like that whole scene after the coffee was poisoned was like, Oh my gosh, this is good. This is interesting. Um, so, you know, probably 20 or 30 minutes right there in that area is when the movie kind of made itself for me Mm -hmm. before that I was interested, but not like all in. Mm-hmm. And then that, after that's that, where it got me too. And and after that moment, um, it did start to go back downhill for me a little bit, um, just because I was fatigued. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get that. Um, I will say I, I don't think I got quite as much, I guess, necessarily fatigued, um, but I, I think that's definitely where it peaked for me. Like throughout the rest of the film, I was. Uh, at least until it was re- revealed, um, like the members of the gang, like who they were, uh, I was trying to figure out, like, okay, well, who who would have done this? Why would they have done this? Like trying to come up with theories in my head. Um, I yeah. was between um, the uh, British guy whose name I don't remember. Um, uh, Mo- Mos- Mosley. Uh, Mowbray, uh, Oswaldo Mowbray. Yeah. I was between him and it, then uh, either it being him or it being Samuel L. Jackson's character, uh, just with oh. some weird twist. Um, well, he, it couldn't have been Samuel Jackson's character because he was telling that story at the time. I mean, like he poison. was the one that was like ultimately behind it. Even if he didn't poison the coffee, oh. he was going to be the, um, I guess, kind of the mastermind. But. I knew that he was going to be a major player either way. I just didn't know if he was going to make that twist from major player for one side to major player the other. So, yeah, I was, I was, I mean, that as soon as I caught wind that something was wrong was when they were in the barn putting the horses up mm-hmm. and Bob, which is his fake name, says to um, Samuel Jackson's character, that like he starts telling him stories, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just re- watching the place. That's when I was in. Cause I could like, you can tell Samuel Jackson does not believe him. No, not at all. Yeah. It's not calling him a liar though. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who is your favorite character in this movie? Do you have one? It kind of, um, fluctuated throughout the movie. Um, like, um, Like there were parts that I really like Samuel L. Jackson's character. Uh, there were parts that I really like Kurt Russell's character. Um, I really liked uh, Oswaldo. I forgot his name again. Uh, the British guy. Um, Mowbray. Mowbray. Um, honestly, I think a lot of the characters in here are like well developed and interesting. 
And I think it takes time to do that. And I, I, uh -huh. I'm not a script writer by any means, but I think it does it well. And um, it, the, the amount of time that you get in the short version, the one that we watched, mm -hmm. I think is, is, is a good enough time to really understand a lot of the characters and who they are and like what they're about. Like there's even little subtleties with um, the bounty hunter, John mm -hmm. and, uh, and Daisy. <clears throat> it's almost like he cares, like he wipes her mouth at one point and like he, like he almost takes care of her a couple of times and shows some humanity there. Yeah. Even in the next moment he smacks her, you know? So there's something there, you know, and it, and you don't catch that unless you, I think, take time with it. Yeah. What about you, Elijah? Favorite characters? Well, I I definitely noticed those things. Obviously, I hated all the characters as people, but <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's kind of the point, right? Um, yeah, the hateful the eight, right? Um, all nine of them. The character that yeah, ten of them, if you think about it. Yeah, the character that made me laugh out loud and i really did watching this by myself was samuel jackson's character mm -hmm. so i guess he was my favorite yeah he he really has some good delivery on a few lines oh, yeah. uh, well you know he's he has a particular brand and he really delivers on that yeah so, um interesting bit of trivia uh channing tatum's character i, I found a couple of pieces of trivia on imdb for one thing an actor uh, that I'm pretty fond of, Vigo Mortensen was at one point considered for that role, um, and I think was actually in talks for it, and then had to bow out because of scheduling conflict or something like that. But that could have been Vigo Mortensen, Aragorn from Lord of the Rings, um, getting his head blown and, off. Yeah, and then the uh, the other thing I learned was that apparently Tatum's role in this movie was they wanted it to be a surprise so badly that they kept his involvement with the movie hush hush from everybody the press like nobody knew that yeah. Channing Tatum was a part of this movie yeah that was like Matt Damon with Interstellar uh-huh he pokes out of the little containment pod and everyone's like I remember I thought I was like is that Matt Damon did you keep Matt Damon in this pod yeah yeah yeah, those little celebrity cameos are kind of fun. My favorite, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, and this is off topic, I'm sorry, but uh, freaking, um, oh my gosh, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt's... Oh, in uh, Deadpool 2? In Deadpool 2. Yeah, I was just thinking that. That is so funny. Because uh, he plays this character that is invisible. Um, so, like, you can't actually tell who it is until he dies, and... Um, like it's revealed that it's actually Brad Pitt. Yeah, it, the moment he dies, you see him just for a second, and you you go, "Is that that's Brad Pitt?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh. Uh. Well, uh, kind of winding down, I do want to talk about one last thing, just kind of briefly. The music in this film is absolutely incredible. Uh, the score won an Oscar, which it rightfully deserved. Um, so I just wanted to say. Kudos to the composer whose name I am currently. Ian Marconi. Ian Marconi. Yeah. Him. Do you yeah, know? He's, he's, he's legend. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking at information for this movie before we watched it. And I was like, I know that name. Why do I know that name? And so I looked him up. And so he did Spaghetti Western scores. He did 
a fistful of dollars for a few dollars more and the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and I also learned today while I was deep Googling that the good, the bad, and the ugly is Quentin Tarantino's favorite film. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, that composer, uh, he did all those movies. And so I learned about him because I took a film class at UGA where we watched A Fistful of Dollars. Um, and so we talked about the, the director and the composer and stuff. And so I, I'm glad I did that for this episode, for the purposes of this episode, because I feel like I know where a lot of Tarantino's inspiration was coming from now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, between but yeah. the music and the way that like the score lined up with the action of the film, it's just incredibly well done. The music was good. I liked it. Yeah, all of his movies are, are like that. Um, all inspired by spaghetti westerns, very obviously. And they all have music in it that's not necessarily of the era, you know, that kind of helps tell, tell the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, with all that said, uh, I believe that it is time to score this sucker. So if this uh, is your first time listening, we use a pretty simple scale here at setting the skein. It's just one to a hundred. Uh, you can kind of think mm-hmm. of it like an American grade scale uh, where a 100 means it is perfect. It has no flaws. Uh, and a one means that it is a steaming pile of turds. So who would like to go first? Tristan, what you want to give this movie? All right, I'll go. Uh, I'm going to give this movie a 90. Okay. Yep. In my opinion, uh, I think it's a pretty good film for the reasons that I've said. And I am a character guy, as a lot of you know, all about character development and my movies. If it's got that, then I like it, probably. Um, it's that, and if it makes me cry. Those two things, it's a winner in my book. Okay. Uh, um, did, did, did this make you cry? No, no, but it was tender at the end. Um, and okay. it came off on a hopeful note even though they both died that's it's still yeah there's still some sort of uh humanism there so okay Uh, i'm gonna go a little bit lower um for me i i will knock off points just for rewatchability like i i'm not gonna go back and watch this um and honestly it i'm really just i'm just not a big tarantino fan um but I mean, it was definitely a good movie. Um, and if it was like, if I was talking to someone, they were kind of like on the fence about going to see it. I would encourage them to go watch it. Rewatchability. Um, yeah, that's uh, the thing. I mean, that is one thing I am knocking off. Um, but also okay. the excessive is allowed to put gratuity uh, of the film. Um, but well, I an excessive feel... gratuity would be tipping too much. <laughs> Gratuitousness. Sorry, um, to use the proper phrase. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to give this an 83. Okay. Nice. Um, Which is still really solid. Elijah, yeah, Elijah says he's um, not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I was really going to give this a 68. <laughs> All right. Um, I didn't not like it. Uh, this may this may have been not the movie to introduce me to the world of Tarantino. I probably should have started with Inglorious Bastards. You should have My, started with Django Unchained. I think. Okay, all right. Well, um, you know, I will definitely still get around to those movies and Pulp Fiction. I haven't seen that either because I'm 
I think you would enjoy Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. I need to watch that one, too. I think you would actually enjoy that one. I'll get around to it. Um, It's weird. I, I don't know if I like this movie overall or not. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, I'll say I think there's more about it that's good than bad, but I don't know that I like it. <laughs> that's fair. All right. It was yeah. definitely interesting. Yeah. I think you, you may just need more time to think about it and reflect on it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, after plugging that into our patented scorometer, <laughs> uh, that gives us a final score of an 80.3 repeating. So it's a pretty solid movie. Uh, well, how about that? Yeah. One of y'all, ask me what we're watching next week. Hey, what are we watching next week? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, we are watching, uh, Elijah, I think you actually recommended this movie, uh, the 2012 movie, Beasts of the Southern Wild. I did. Um, I haven't seen it. I just really want to. Yeah. So let's talk about it. <laughs> I mean, that's half the reason we do this podcast is because we want to watch movies. Yep. That we haven't so we're seen watching before. a new one next week. Yeah. Uh, so yep. it'll be a good time. Uh, be sure to uh, check back for that. Uh, we, and uh, also keep up with all the cool stuff that Vitamin Media is doing. Uh, Tea with Doug G is taking a break for summer since Doug is not around currently. Uh, but we've got new episodes of Setting the Skeen every Wednesday. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm Ben. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah. And this has been Setting the Skeen. Y'all have a great week. Mm-hmm.